So what's up, everybody? This is the Brownwater Banter Podcast, and I'm sitting here with Danny Bedwell. Danny, you're running for? The U.S. Senate. Okay. Oh, wow. Let's do it. Let's get right in the middle of yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, what are you running as? I'm, I'm a libertarian. There we go. Everybody in the state knows. I wanted to get it kicked off right off the bat. Yeah. yeah you know yeah. what I mean? Um, so what district are you running in, first of all? It's a statewide district. It's uh, statewide. Or the Senate. I'm sorry. That's right. You're running for I'm Senate. running for the U.S. Senate that's against right. Roger Wicker. Okay. So I've been campaigning from... Biloxi and uh, Natchez all the way to, you know, up north in uh, Iuka and, and South Haven, Tupelo, Oxford, Jackson. Down here today in, in uh, Gulfport? I was in Gulfport earlier this morning uh, okay. talking to the, uh, Civic, the Civic Center, I think is what it's called. Okay. Uh, what, what kind of what group was that? What organization was that? Well, it was uh, really just a candidate forum for all candidates, but the only p- other candidates that showed up were Democrats, and I was the only really limited government uh type of candidate roger wasn't there today come on (laughs) (laughs) he didn't he didn't yeah he had something more yeah he had something to do yeah Yeah. um do you know rick uh mccluskey yes thank you i was gonna mess it up he posted yesterday something about uh on facebook about uh candidates not showing up to uh debate you know that's that's going on right now with this uh was it cindy cindy hyde smith okay good thanks for helping me out with these names by the way uh, it's a spur of the moment. I didn't have my political notes out. Uh, but yeah, about not showing up to debate anybody. And uh, I put, you know, I, I commented on there. I'm like, you know, but the, the voters, whether it be voters in Mississippi in this case or voters nationwide, they allow that to happen, do they not? Right, they do. You and, get a free and the, pass. And there's nothing we can do about it other than vote. Vote and, you know, go on shows like yours whenever we can and, right. and point that out that they refuse to debate us. It's, it's, so first of all, I don't like it. Second of all, I understand it, right? Right. If you're the yeah. incumbent with all the money uh, and everything's kind of going your way, why risk getting into the middle or having to um, explain some of your votes or some of the uh, bills you've supported, right? Just don't go, right? Yeah, yeah. And that is Roger. He doesn't want to explain it. And me personally, I wouldn't either. If I was the incumbent, you know, you run the old risk-benefit analysis thing, mm-hmm. and there's Absolutely. a lot at risk, and he benefits very little from it. Almost none. But, right. but th- that goes back to my point is that – if the voters don't care, then you're right. He has nothing to to lo- or to gain from doing right. a debate, right? So That's don't right. do it. But if if the voters in Mississippi, or when we talk about um, uh, national, you know, uh, presidential elections or what have you, now they do debate. But that, we can get into that later about uh, not allowing third party candidates to be on the debate stage. Uh, but the voters don't. If if they knew that I don't vote or I don't debate, I'm not going to win the, the the election regardless because that's just something that people hold hold valuable. They would do it. They would have to do it, right? Right. That's right. That's right. And and I think it's uh, incumbent upon the voters to demand. Correct. I mean, and there's a lot of you know my supporters mm-hmm. that are demanding that Roger debate. There's a lot of Chris McDaniel supporters demanding that Cindy Hyde Smith debate. Yeah. They're and not going to get that. They're not going to get it. It's not going to happen. You know, and you talked earlier about um, on the debate stage. As a libertarian, I don't think we really get a fair shake. No. There was a poll recently done. It was between the New York Times and Mississippi Today. They both went in cahoots on this poll. And in my race, they said, who would you most likely vote for? Roger Wicker, David Beria, or Undecided? Roger, That's what they listed. Yeah. yeah. Roger wow. Wicker got 44%. David Beria got 29%. And somebody named Undecided got you know, yeah. 27%. How many people are running in this, in this race? Four. Can you name them? So Roger Wicker, yourself, 
David Beria is okay. the Democrat candidate, and then Sean O'Hara is the Reform Party candidate. Okay, and so th- so to me, do you reach out to these to these uh, news outlets and say like what what is what's their rationale for that? You know, I w- I wish I could tell you um, two things here. You're on the ballot. Yeah, yeah. It's not like you just you're just saying. And that they haven't running. done it this time, but the last time, four years, six years ago, I ran against Alan Nunnally, and the. University of Mississippi, the School of Journalism. Keep, right, in, keep right, in mind, this right. is not welding. This is a school of journalism where they're teaching people to get to the bottom of something and see all sides, all that stuff. They held a debate, and I was not invited. The Republican candidate was invited. The Democrat candidate was invited. I was not. And when we asked them about it, they said, we want only serious candidates. Or I think the word they used, legitimate candidates. Now, for the past year i've been driving all over the state as i said from I've, natchez to iuka to i've been wherever. following you yeah i know I'm, I'm campaigning harder than a democrat harder than the republican and for them to say that i'm not a legitimate candidate it's just i i, I have to think it's it's intentional oh absolutely i just don't are they so rooted in their own their own party whether it be the republican party or the democratic party because that's obviously the first thing that people say about a libertarian candidate. One is that you don't have a chance. And two is that you're drawn away from right. whichever other party that that person who is giving you this information yeah. like, right? They're, I'm a Democrat, so they're pulling away from the Democrats. I'm a Republican, so they're taking the Republican vote. We need to get them out of here. Is that's that right. right? That's right. That's right. That's what they say. They call me the spoiler, and I want to go on record right now as saying, <laughs> yeah, I hope so. I have every intention of spoiling Mitch McConnell and, and, and Chuck, what's his name? Right. I have every intention of being the spoiler and spoiling their plans for America. You have a, uh, I guess it was like a, um, I don't know if it was a card or something you just put on the internet or whatever, but it's like, it was your, I think it was your picture and it says, do you think this guy can run your life better than, how, how did it go? It was, right. it, was, it was, it was really good. Yeah. It, it just had my picture and the caption said, do you think this guy can run your life better than you can? Neither does he. That's why he's a libertarian. Right. And exactly. that's what I want to do. Right. You know, I'm not going there because I want to, I'm not running for Senate because I want to regulate the price of cabbage or your travel or your health or your your jobs. I don't want to regulate any of that. I want to regulate Washington. Okay, so let's let's start there then. For people who are listening to this who they've either never heard of the Libertarian Party, they've only heard bad things, they only know Gary Johnson or you know, whatever. In in a quick nutshell, how how would you describe the Libertarian Party? Uh I would have to tell you about the libertarian philosophy to tell you about the libertarian party. And I tell people I would be a libertarian even if no government ever existed in the history of mankind. What that means is I think it's immoral, unethical, whatever you want to say, it's wrong to outnumber someone and take their stuff. Outnumber someone and impose your will onto them. Gang up on them. And whether you gang up on them at the ballot box or in a back alley somewhere is irrelevant. We should not be able to gang up on someone and take their stuff or gang up on them and make them do things. We have this thing called force or fraud or the non-aggression principle. And if you hurt someone, burglary, uh, murder, rape, extortion, theft, you hurt someone, you create a victim somehow, mm-hmm. you probably have to answer for it. Go to jail. But if you didn't, if all you're doing is something that a majority of others disapprove of, tough noogies. You know, right. I don't have to. Vices. Live. Yeah. Right. Uh, this is why, you know, 
a lot of libertarians are called long-haired hippie dope smoking gay rights activists because you know, <laughs> that's a good one to well to be honest paul gallo called me that okay uh you don't have long hair i'm, I'm no, looking at I you right now i don't smoke marijuana yeah and am i a gay rights activist yeah i but actually i'm a unwed mother of one rights activist i am a heterosexual right. rights activist Correct. i'm just a rights activist. you're a human activist right right i say you know, if you hurt someone, burglary, rape, murder, extortion, theft, you go to jail. If you're not hurting someone, knock yourself out. Right. I don't right. have don't to Don't tread like on me kind of a deal, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. it, the way I've always thought of the Libertarian Party is like, as long as you're not hurting me, you do what you want to do, right? Right. I right. Mean, I mean, I know that's a, that's a and, blanket and when generalization. when you apply that but, to government, right. and we have things called, you know, the Department of Education or the Department of Agriculture, and they pass these laws and these regulations that put rules on me. And right. I haven't hurt a soul, yet a majority of others has determined that I can only sell so much cotton to Brazil. And I don't know where that comes from. I didn't hurt anyone. Protectionism, right? I would it is, assume. It is protectionism. It's, it's economic protectionism. And uh, really, that's one of the main reasons I'm running for Senate is we're going to go bankrupt. You know, uh, economic collapse. We have to fight this. If America fails, it's not going to be because Guatemalans and, and I heard you say that Hondurans. It's not going to be because they're uh, trying to cross the border. Yeah. yeah. It's not going to be because of gay marriage. It's not going to be because of medical marijuana. It's going to be economic collapse. And this is something I hate to sound like Johnny Raincloud here. Right. But that's something that we're headed towards. And we, somebody has to do something about it. I just left this Gulfport Port, uh, Civic Center where all the Democrat candidates up there on the stage were telling them how they're going to increase their health coverage, increase their social security, increase every aspect of their life at, at the expense of government. And I don't know how we pay for that. You know, we're $21 trillion in debt. Nobody wants to hear that. You know yeah, what I mean? That, like, I mean, well, they ask, you're, you're right. You one know of the I mean? questions was if you want to be on the, uh, a committee, which one would it be? And I took that opportunity to tell them, you know, appropriations because I get to see mm -hmm. how much money is coming in. Now I have to prioritize the spending and I'm listening to these candidates up here saying all this stuff they want to spend money on. And I'm there to tell them we ain't got it. We that, ain't got it. That, that makes me think of something here. Um, you talk about committee appointments, even, even if you do get elected, you, any libertarian or whatever, don't, then the fight is also to get your committee appointments. Correct. Yeah. Let me talk to that. Hi, go ahead. I want to hear. Okay. So don't tell anyone I said this. Okay. Sure. Okay. But the, he said into the, the microphone. Yeah. Right. So the uh, Senate, the uh, Senate minority leader, you realize how they're chosen. The minority party. Correct. Elects the Senate minority leader. If I'm elected as a libertarian party guy, uh, who is the new Senate minority leader? Mm. And I hate to say it this way, but the rest of the candidates that were saying what, what committees they wanted to sit on. Mm hmm. I just want to say, well, I'll consider letting you have that committee seat. Right. You know, because it would be up to me. I yeah, would be the new Senate be, minority leader. You'd be the minority, for sure. For sure. So, is that a reason to vote for me? I think so. There you go. I mean, you would definitely. So, they really don't want you in. No wonder they're not oh, mentioning yeah, you in the yeah. debates, right? I was, a, I was the uh, lone wolf out there today at this. this uh, Do you get, like, stink eyes? and, and, and I get a lot of sighs. Okay. Uh, Eye rolls? Oh, stuff yeah. like that? Oh, yeah. Um, one of the questions was, how are you going to save Social Security? That was asked today. Mm -hmm. Every other candidate said their versions were different, but they all wanted to extend the working age. That's I mean, usually what they do. And, Make and, you work longer and you get a little bit less. And increase your payroll t taxes. 
and decrease your, your benefits. Correct. They all had different variations of that. And whenever I said my plan was to dissolve Social Security and make it go away. Sorry, folks, and, we have a train passing. No, and, sorry and, and, and privatize it. Yeah. And I told them about the math real quick. And this is important that I think everybody has to understand. The median income in Mississippi, mm -hmm. median salary is 37800 Payroll taxes on that for Social Security is $392. If you take that $392 and instead of giving it to Uncle Sam for Social Security, you would put it in a mutual fund drawing 12%. And for your working career, age 18 to age 65, by the time you get to 65, you've got almost $12 million in your account, your retirement account. This is the husband, the wife, the man, the woman, anyone. And the stock market just took a hit this week. Mm -hmm. uh, in the news and it lost about 5%. Well, even then you end up with, you know, uh, a 10 point or what I call it, 9.8% instead of the 11.8, you end up with 9.8 million or trade million dollars. There you go. You have it. You had it. And yeah. that's if you and, take it out at that moment. Right? And that, if that you moment, have a little right. time to ride it out, you may, you may get that back. You that, know? That's right. That's right. And even at, in its heyday, social mm -hmm. security, your return on investment in social security is about 2.4%. Yeah, that's that's not good. That, that's not, that's, that's terrible. What do we do then? For okay, so that's moving forward, right? That's right, for like right. what we could do now. So we, what about the people who've paid we in? We transition. I think people that have paid in gets every dime that they've paid in, and plus interest. And what we do is we start transitioning. And I would be listen. I would be willing to listen to an age, age thirty, or actually in the working cycle. So from eighteen to sixty-five or sixty-six, you get to decide when you retire under right. my plan. But I would say probably age 30, uh, you've paid in X amount in your Social Security payroll deductions. Mm -hmm. And at age 30 is when you start now moving that payment to your own personal retirement account. Then when you retire, you get the money that you've paid in because you will have been drawing interest on that from age 30 to age 65. That's okay. 35 years. So you'll get that interest plus whatever payroll taxes you paid into Social Security. And then eventually everybody will be under the privatized system. It'll take about 30 years to get there. Is it, it's privatized, but is it mandated? Yeah, it's the same. Yeah. It's the same payroll deduction. The exact same. We just match it. Okay. Uh, so instead of giving it to uncle Sam, you put it into your own personal and the, the good stuff about this, mm -hmm. and I really like it is it's yours. And right now, the way the system works, you pay into social security your whole life. Mm -hmm. When you turn 64, God forbid you get hit by a bus and die. Yeah. Uncle Sam keeps all that you paid in. They give your spouse, the surviving spouse, a small pittance, mm -hmm. but Uncle Sam keeps the rest. And under my plan, it's yours. It's part of your estate. You leave it to your kids and your will. Whatever you didn't spend, whatever you have in your 401k or your mutual funds, whatever you have there is now part of your estate. You can give it to the church. You can give it to your kids. Give it to your dog. Who would argue that? <laughs> Who would argue against that? Think about what it does for the our budget, our federal budget. Mm -hmm. Right now, uh, unfunded uh, liabilities, we're like $230 trillion because of Social Security. That's money that we know we have to pay. Mm -hmm. That goes away. That, well, I think $160 trillion of it goes away because if we privatize Social Security. Think of the economy. Think about how many grandmas and grandpas are going to be buying Winnebago's and outstanding Christmases yeah. for their kids, for the grandkids. It, it has to be fear though, on the part of the people like just say, for instance, you were talking today, right? When anytime you talk about changing social security, anytime right. you talk about it and the answer is not, we're going to 
I but, mean, I don't know, because like you said, either you're going to lose time, you're going to work longer, you're going to get more taken out of your check in the other plan, not yours, the other right, plan. Right, right. Or, or, or they're going to pay you less. So but, what, what a part about that is appealing? Well, you the know? problem is they ask the question and they say, and you have 90 seconds to respond. Well, and, and I have to explain that in 90 seconds. Yeah, that's ridiculous. That's why I like doing these things, because we right. can sit here and talk as long until you're blue in the face. You know exactly. what I mean? We upload it to the Internet. None of it's edited. Um, so it's a, you know, long format discussions that 90, 90 minute or 90 seconds. That's just, right. you can't convey a point. And everybody sitting up there at the table with me, in other words, I think six of us, mm -hmm. every one of them knows this to be true, that something has to be done because the three big ticket budget items in our, in our budget are social security, Medicare, Medicaid, and defense spending. Mm -hmm. They take up 100% of the budget. There is no discretionary spending. We don't get to pave roads. We don't have a Department of Agriculture. We don't have tuition assistance. We don't have food stamps. Those three take up 100% of the budget. Something's got to be done. They know this. And they, you're they saying they take up 100% of the budget and all those other things are funded through debt? Is that what yes, you're saying? Exactly. Okay, okay. okay. I was some, getting confused. Some of these politicians, and I don't like to think of myself as a politician, I suppose I am, but. <laughs> I have a question for you set up. But in the, in this they're problem. actually monetizing the debt. This is their solution, is to monetize the debt and print more money. Mm -hmm. And we've seen the Zimbabwe, I think it's a $1 trillion bill, and it'll, it'll get you a loaf of bread. Right. This seems to be their solution, is what we need to do is just print more money to pay off that debt. That doesn't work. That's... That's devalues the dollar, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just takes more of those. Your dollars are to use them. We'll put a, to, to buy something. I was going to say worthless, but I'll say worth less. Right. That's real simple. Until it gets to worthless. Yeah. Until you yeah. like what in Germany they burned all their money back in the whatever was it forties uh, to keep warm. Right. Right. You it know, was so cost effective just to burn that hundred dollar bill. That's right. That's right. Uh, that what I was going to what I was going to ask you was, uh, you know, people people think politicians are liars. And you're running for office. What is it? What is how do how do you escape that? Uh, I told him so. Logic. I said yes when I was explaining my Social Security. I said I'm a politician, so mm -hmm. don't believe me because mm -hmm. politicians lie. But you know what doesn't lie? Math does not lie. And I said you can look up what is the median income for the state of Mississippi, and it will show you that, and say what is the payroll deduction for Social Security. Mm -hmm. And uh, the the payroll uh, deduction for Social Security is the uh, 12.4%. Was it ever a good program in your opinion? Social Security? No. Okay. No. Uh, it might have been effective, but I think it was uh, immoral. Okay. I, if they would have done it correctly, it would have been okay. I'm not against a safety net. I think the safety net is important. You're going to have people that cannot take care of themselves, mm -hmm. and we as a society have to take care of them. Okay. But there's a... Uh, a non-coercive way to do that in a way that we can take care of it better. For example, privatizing Social Security. Let's suppose there's a disabled person. He's 25 years old, 30 years old. Well, you know what? His dad just retired with $12 million. His mom just retired with $12 million. Mm -hmm. I think that's the safety net. They can put him on a salary for 60000 a year, and it will last for 75 years. Uh, I mean, we have... That requires people to do their part, right? If you're, if well, yeah, you know, I, I mean, and I, and that's I'm not saying it's a bad thing. That's a good thing, right? Yeah, but it does require people to work their their said uh, years of of uh, required work, right? And you're saying that the amount of money that would be allocated or set aside for their retirement would be 
still the same as like it is now. Social Security would just be in a private uh, right instead investment. of. Instead of bureaucrats in Washington having that money, mm-hmm. it would be their mom and dad that had that money or their aunt or their uncle or whoever felt the need right. to take care of them. And I think it brings us together as a society like we need to be. What, it, what is your, uh, you're not an anarchist. So like, no. what, what is your view? What is the role? What is the role of government? Right. Because uh, it's, I'm like, I'm, I, I agree with you. Like, I, it seems like they botch a lot of things. You know yeah, what I mean? Like yeah. they're not efficient. It's not, they're not designed to be that way right the the role of government is is, is really simple protect our borders okay like from foreign invasion okay and uh you mentioned the honduras situation yeah. the people come is it assuming that it is what it, they're saying it is i mean where, where is trump handling this the right way are you for this border wall like how yeah. do we secure our borders uh i'll go on record and say I, I don't want the wall okay and i'll explain why i'm but glad to hear you say that the uh I look back in you know the turn of the century before we had all this technology that we have mm-hmm. now. Five thousand people a day went through Ellis Island Monday through Friday. Five thousand people a day Monday through Friday for months and months and months, and we were able to process them into the country. Now we're having a fit over seven thousand people one time. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, a, that's a good perspective to put that and in. We should be able to process people into our country faster, cheaper, easier. Than, okay. than we currently are. I mean, back in Ellis Island days, I think it took four hours and 20 bucks. And now it takes, you know, six months and $6,000. We, we, we've got to have a, a better way to bring people in. I mean, the people sneaking across the desert, they're doing so because it's just coming in the right way is too difficult. I guess the scare tactic to that is right. We live in a scarier world now The terrorists, uh, you know, people are going to be sneaking in from these countries where we don't want them from. I'm not saying I yeah, buy into yeah. that completely. You know what I mean? But, but then we have to ask the question, why is it a scarier world? That's true. Uh, and did we play a, maybe play a part in that in, in some way, shape right. or form? And I, I'd <clears> like to talk a little bit if I can about Go ahead, absolutely. the wall and why I oppose it. Go ahead. We got time. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, right now, because of in the past 20 years, all this has happened. We've developed no-fly lists where mm-hmm. a person can be put on a no-fly list without any jury, any trial, any uh, time in front of a judge. We've got no-fly lists. We've got the State Department now can revoke passports. The IRS now can revoke passports. So we're getting this government that is trying to stop you from traveling abroad. They think now that without any type of trial, without any type of tribunal or a judge, where you get to defend yourself or provide your side of the story. No due process. No due process at all. They can stop you from traveling abroad. Now, all of a sudden, we're wanting a wall that is (laughs) with barbed wire on top of it, men with machine guns and dogs. Mm -hmm. And that's what East Germany had. Yeah. And it was sold to the people the same way. We want to build this wall to keep out the invading hordes, mm-hmm. you know, and that's why it's being sold to the American people now. Yeah. We want to keep out the invading I've hordes. Al- and I've always thought that that period in history, the German with the right. third Reich and all, how, how did that come about? I've, I've re- I tried to read a little bit about it and watch some documentaries because you're right. How did they go from such a, a liberal society, sure. right? Flourishing to how do you sell people that, that lie? And it's what you're saying. I'm not saying that's where we're headed completely. I, I'm not well, I totally mean, into that, but I, I do respect asking that question or having that, that viewpoint. You know, right. Um, we now have Google and it's really cool. Yeah. Uh, I made comparisons to our security networks and the East German Stasi. Mm-hmm. And what the East German Stasi used to do was eavesdrop on phones. They used to read people's mails, 
they used to follow people around, stop and check their paperwork and interrogate them, mm-hmm. all without any type of warrant or due process or anything. And you could not leave. And Stasi would follow people and suspect, find people that they thought was going to go to another country. Mm-hmm. And they would put them in prison. And I see a lot of that stuff happening here. I do. I see our, whether it's the NSA or the CIA or the FBI, the no-fly list. You know, mm-hmm. I, I see the, you know, the NSA now reads emails. I mean, you read the Snowden book, right? I'm yeah, sure yeah. you saw that, you know, they, they read everything. Yeah. It ain't just your emails and it's not just the American traffic. That's right. It's all of it. This here right yeah. now, as we speak, is oh, being recorded. So. No doubt. You know, it's, it's crazy. I mean, I, and I, I just see, I'm a historian. So I see things that's happened from Caesar's day all the way up to now. Right. History does. So that's itself. one of the benefits of, of limited government, correct? Right. Right. I've always said that, you know, Government should be so powerless that it shouldn't matter who the president is or who your senator is. They would be powerless to really affect your life very much. Well, I think that's what checks and balances were supposed to be for, right? That's why we have three branches of government. That's why we have uh, term limits. That's why we have even not a democracy that people like to champion all the time, the constitutional republic to keep, like you said, the larger group shouldn't tell the smaller group what to do. In a republic... The minority is supposed to be protected from the majority. Correct. And, and I, it's the other way around now. It, it is. If it you is. want if I want you to wear a yellow hat on Wednesday, I simply outnumber you, outvote you, mm-hmm. and you have to wear a yellow hat on Wednesday. Yeah, and, that's and that's it's absurd. Let's uh let's bring it back to uh to the state, to the state of Mississippi. What do you think is some of the number like what is the number one, two, or three top five things that that's either a barrier right now in this state or, or things that we could change to make it better. Like what, what would be your top priority if, if you, for the state? Yeah. Uh, if I'm running for governor, you understand that running for the U S Senate, I have very little impact on. Well, is that, I guess then that's the way it should be. Right. Because they like to champion how much federal dollars they send down to Pascagoula, I guess is where I'm coming with that. Yeah. And and as appropriations, I would be in charge of that. Right. You know, I, I would get, or at least, get input on it mm-hmm. and you know we have a difference of opinion whether we should be a national country or a federalist country okay and the main difference between nationalism and federalism you know federalism is 50 independent nation states it's 50 independent laboratories of innovation each state trying to figure out the best way the most efficient way to do something the cheapest way and nationalism is kind of like one size fits all from top-down governance it's a bunch of people in washington Senators from Vermont and Connecticut and Ohio and Texas all deciding what's the best education curriculum for Mississippians to follow. Right. And they vote it into law and all of a sudden it's top down governance. Mm-hmm. We have to teach this curriculum. So you're more, you're, I'm so assuming that's not your style. I would like to put all the power, the money and the decision making authority back to the state legislature. And I'd actually like to get it from the state legislature back down to the county level yeah. because it's a lot easier for the people Mm-hmm. to go down and kick in the door to the mayor and say, what is this all about? Than it is to go to Washington, D.C. and round up 100 senators from 50 states. Yeah, and that's and those are the elections. I think all elections in the U.S. get ignored, but local elections right. really get ignored, right? You right. Know, they don't, people don't realize that those are the ones, really, that should have the most Im- impact on your life, right? That your local... Th- that's right. And but, that's what it's supposed to be. I mean, right. bottom-up governance or federalism, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. that's what it's supposed to be. That Because if... Somebody locally, I live in Columbus, this is North Mississippi, I live in Columbus, and if all the power and decision-making authority rested in the county, and they're doing something I don't like that, or that it affects me, 
I can go to my county board of supervisors meeting and raise cane about it. Mm-hmm. I can't do it in Washington. They won't let me in the Senate. They won't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, you're not going to. Yeah. They're not going to speak to them. Yeah. I'm, I don't get to air my grievance. Right. What what got you into politics? Let's do this real quick. Give us your background, like where you're from, sure. what you've done, and, and then how you got into politics. Wow. Yeah. Uh, um, let's see. I was active duty military. I'm a retired Navy diver, so you know. And okay. I traveled the globe. I had a really good friend of mine. I was a Ronald Reagan supporter. And uh, this was back in the 80s. And a friend of mine says, you know that Ronald Reagan grew the size, scope, and role of government. And I'm like, blasphemy you know i'm <laughs> and then i did my research and i said wow he did mm-hmm. and again this is like i think it's 84 and uh i decided to take it a step further and i researched what i considered the size scope and role of government and it was uh the gdp to debt ratio uh number of government employees i can't remember the other two and i charted it i checked it for 100 years 1980 I'm sorry, 1880 to 1980, and I put it on a graph. And on the uh, vertical axis, I listed what I considered to be the size, scope, and role of government. And on the bottom of the graph, I, I listed uh, the, demo, the, the decades. Mm-hmm. And that line, it showed me, and I colored in blue and red for whether it was Democrats or re- Republicans that had the, the House at the time or the Congress at the time. And it showed me that it didn't matter whether it was Democrats or Republicans. The size, scope, and role of government grew. Just, I mean, it was like a 45-degree angle, just going up from zero axis. Yeah, and it it had zero effect whether they were Democrats or Republicans. And I said, there's got to be something else. Mm -hmm. So I read something about the Libertarian Party, and I said, I like that. I joined the Libertarian Party. And then I started getting into the philosophy. And I'm one of the weird ones that got into the party before I got into the philosophy. Yeah, that is. And I, weird. Then I started reading everything I could get my hands on. I read books on economics, uh, uh, Wealth of Nations. You know, uh, that was the first book I read, by the way, Wealth of Nations, and it explains so much, and I love it. Mm-hmm. Uh, from there, uh, I retired from the military. Okay. And I moved to Mississippi with my wife. She's from uh, Columbus, and I read something in the paper one day, and it said. The Libertarian Party of Mississippi is meeting in Jackson. I said, I think I'll go to that. And I show up there, and there's two people in a public library sitting there in their sweatpants. Yeah. And uh, that's kind of how I had heard about it through, I think, more Ron Paul, uh, even though he was considered, you know, I think he, yeah, his last presidential run was as a Republican. But uh, it was a uh, a flyer, and a friend of mine was like, "Hey, the Libertarian Party is meeting. It was right here in Biloxi downtown, uh, one of these condos down here." And that's, I believe, you were at that one, if I remember correctly. It was the state convention. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and there wasn't very many people, yeah. there, you know. And I was like, walked in, but everything that everybody was saying was everything I agreed with. And so I vaguely have been, you know, going to a few meetings right before I went back to school. And then I kind of wasn't able to be involved. But that's how I've met uh, libertarians in the state, follow it through Facebook. So I've, yeah. I'm very much in line with what the philosophy, like you said, behind it all. It's very appealing to me. Uh, and I'm like you, you just watch the federal budget and the, 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 the trillions of dollars worth of debt. And you can't, if you're a sane, rational person, you have to think, where does this end and how do we fix it? Right. Right. But when I guess it's like maybe losing weight for people. Nobody wants to stop eating unhealthy, right? They want to. When you start talking like what it really takes, then people are like, whoa, 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 whoa. And I don't, I don't want to do that. I felt obligated to do that. You know, I went to uh, 
the NAACP meeting. Mm-hmm. And of course, the very first question they asked me was, do you think healthcare is a right or a privilege? And they didn't like my answer because I had to explain to them what the difference between a right and a privilege. Right. And, uh, again, this was NAACP and you just heard the groans and the moans. Mm -hmm. And I explained the economics of, uh, the American care act. Uh, Mm -hmm. Then I went to Tupelo to the AARP. Uh, (laughs) And I told them when I first announced, I want to privatize social security. I'm surprised the old people didn't start throwing stuff at me. Right. You heard them sigh right. and groan and guffaw. And, but they let me answer it a little bit. And I talked to them for probably 10 minutes, and then they liked it. And they, I, I t- gave them all the math, and I, we sat there and went over everything. And after about 15, 20 minutes, they liked it, and I walked away that night with the uh, AARP support. So That's good. That's but you've, you've got to do that. You've got to go into the belly of the great beast. That's right. And, and make your arguments. I mean, I could preach to the amen pew all the time, and people say, yeah, Danny, you're right. Right, but well, if you're not that, growing your numbers, yeah, right? Yeah, that doesn't do any good. You've got to go to the people that disagree with you That's right. and convince them. What What is your, can you give us a, enlighten me on what your, your uh, healthcare strategy would be? Like, how do we tackle that monster? Yeah, uh, I'll say this. I'm not smart enough to do that. Okay. And, I, and I'm saying that. That's fair. I mean. I, I'm saying that because I don't think anybody is. I don't think anybody can manage the health care for 320 million people right uh, i don't think albert einstein could do it now there's people that say they can you know barack obama said he could but he can't mm-hmm. so i'm looking for a more market approached uh cure to health care kind of like we we talked about my social security plan mm-hmm. i think we can do the same thing with health care we kind of privatize it instead of paying for insurance companies and uh using it's money laundering is what it is. When yeah. we take money from a person and run it through several government agencies and give it back to them in the form of health care, mm-hmm. it loses a lot on the way. So free up the market. Yeah. Yeah. Free up the market. And I think that what we'll find out is that health care itself is cheaper. Yeah. Well, there, yeah. And then also health care insurance would be cheaper. So I think that government drives up the do price. You, do you, do you think that the uh, insurance companies want that? No. Uh, yeah, I don't, yeah. <laughs> I don't. No, no. I that, don't think it's only government either. You know, and I haven't. I haven't. I'm not a scholar on the laws of uh, our insurance when it comes to healthcare and cross state lines. I just know kind of what I hear uh, candidates talk about. But it doesn't seem to me like the insurance companies exactly want right open borders when it comes to buying across state lines for you insurances know, and stuff like that. My company, what I do is I own a company and we sell cross ties to the railroads. I wish I could pass a law that required people buy my product right. like the insurance companies did. Right. They passed a law that made it a law that you have to buy their product. Yeah. And that's just wrong. I think that happens a lot, like you said, with going back to cotton and where you can, sure. can and cannot sell it, right? I mean, people want to protect their market share or their industry. Uh, if they can do it with a pen, I guess that's always mightier than the sword, right? Yeah. Hey, can I mention these guys? Yeah, absolutely. I mention them all the time. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm drinking an iced coffee here from uh, Jacked Up. Yep, right and down the road. Yeah, they're just, I love this stuff, man. Yeah, it's the OG drip, people, if you're listening. Okay. They're on Howard Avenue in Biloxi. It's like a uh, three-tiered, looks like a chemistry set. It's literally about this tall, you can't see, but it's about three feet. Uh, when you walk in, and it's kind of intimidating to buy that coffee out of that machine because you don't know if you're going to sprout wings or jump over mm. the building or something, uh, but it's really good. 
It's an iced coffee. So yeah, go yeah, check them out. Yeah, We've mentioned really it before. Good. I share all their stuff on Twitter. I'm I'm a big fan. You um, keep you keep feeding me that coffee. I'll keep talking. Let's go. I mean, we're only <laughs> we're not very far into it right now. Um, I've got to, I've got an interview at uh, two o'clock. Oh, sure, sure. At, Where are we with at? the uh, Natchez Democrat? It's by phone. So okay, okay. Uh, Let me see what uh what is it. 20 minutes. Okay, well, let's get a couple punches in real quick before sure. uh, before you go. Is there anything that we haven't covered that you want to mention? Mm, I, no? I'll, free, I'll freelance it around, but, you know, <laughs> the the uh, main reason I'm running is because of this debt and the spending. Okay. That is what's got to be fixed. I mean, we can talk about Obamacare. We can talk about the borders and all that other stuff. But until, until we fix the way we fund government, uh, it's... It, it's useless. It's so attack the budget first, and in a way of doing that with without uh, you. Well, I mean, it's the budgeting process. There's there's a couple things here. You know, we estimate revenues coming in. Mm-hmm. We have a actually a joint uh, from the House and the Senate, and also from the uh, uh, executive branch. We have these this joint budget office, and they es- try to estimate how much revenue they've got coming in, either through the income tax and and tariffs and whatever. And for the past 50 years, they have underestimated. They have said, I'm sorry, they have overestimated how much money is coming in. Gotcha. So they they always think we're going to get this big pocket of money. And then as the year goes by, we don't get that. We never have. So we have to change our, our model for how we estimate the revenues. We have to change our revenue stream. And then we have to look at big ticket items, the way government is funded. And we, we have to start prioritizing our spending. We cannot afford to do everything we have promised. You mentioned uh, one of the roles of government you feel like is protecting the borders. How, and then you also mentioned uh, the amount that we spend on defense, correct? How do you, how do we manage both of those things? Both keeping this country safe, but also I would assume sure. pulling back on our defense spending yeah. somewhat, right? Yeah. When I say pull back on defense spending, you know, we still got bases in Germany mm-hmm. and we've got bases, I think 154 bases around the world. We don't need that. And I, I think we can make realistic, rational cuts to the defense spending. You know, in politics, there's, they say there's three things that you should never, a politician should never say he's going to cut, and that is Social Security, defense, and Medicare. <laughs> you're, you're on all three. Uh, yeah, yeah. Wow. But I, yeah. I also promise people the truth. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. And, and like you said, you're running around the state right now, going everywhere, showing up on, on short notice, I might add. To a yeah. podcast, uh, <laughs> and I do appreciate that to get your message out. So, if the people, you know, people in Mississippi that are listening to this right now, I mean, he's willing to work because he's already doing it, right? Right. So, right. Uh, I won't hold you up anymore. Again, thanks for coming, man. We can do this again anytime you're down here on the coast. I mean, this isn't a one. It doesn't have to, yeah. doesn't have to be a one off. We can yeah, keep Jared. talking. Yeah, yeah, man. Me too. Anytime. Okay. I, I say after the election, whether I win or lose, I'm going to get back to being heavily involved in the Libertarian Party of Mississippi. Okay. And uh, I'd love to come in on your show in that capacity. Absolutely. Let's real quick before you go, let's tell everybody where they can get in touch with you, how they can support you and uh, what day do they need to go out and uh, vote for you. Right. There you go. Thank you for teeing me up. Yeah. Yeah. My website is bedwell for senate.com. And uh, you can go there. There's a link there where you can contribute to my campaign. I actually do need the money. Uh, Roger Wicker's got about $3.1 million in his campaign war chest and he's not even doing the campaigning that I'm doing. So I don't know what he's doing with the money, but he's not campaigning with it. Give it to me and I will, I'll I'll come visit you. 
And uh, I didn't pay him anything, and he showed up. So three point <laughs> one million, you could probably get him to sing and yeah, dance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, uh, November sixth is when the election is. So uh, there's going to be four people on the ballot. That is Roger Wicker, who is the incumbent Republican. It's going to be Danny Bedwell, the Libertarian. David Beria, the Democrat, and uh, Sean O'Hare, the Reform Party candidate, and he's not even campaigning, so he he just likes to see his name in print. I think. Okay, cool, good for him. Yeah. So uh, Facebook as well. I don't know if you. Said oh yeah, that. yeah. yeah I'm on Facebook. I'm, I'm one of those Facebook warriors. Okay. So any other social media? Uh, 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 Twitter. Okay. And uh, I can tell by your face, you're maybe not on Twitter as much. <laughs> right. It's that Bedwell guy. Okay. So. Well, look him up, man. Y'all check him out. Thanks again, man. I really yeah, do man. appreciate it. Thank Good you, Good luck to you. All right. Yep. Thanks a lot.